Welcome to the More Than Hearers podcast. I'm Orion. I'm here with Peter, and we're going to talk Bible in your ear, uh, in both of them, if uh, you've got uh, headphones or uh, if you've got uh, a speaker in the car that's outputting to the entire space and not just one side of your head. Uh, We're going to be in the book of Luke today. Uh, We're in chapter 11. And we're in episode 34. 34. What? How could we be on 34? Because we've recorded 1 through 33. Oh, already. Um, now I understand. <laughs> I missed it. Peter's going to be going into math class in his uh, college course soon, and I wish him well. Uh, something about some business i got to take care of, and let's see if I can remember everything. You, sometimes you listen, and sometimes you want to contact us. How do you do that? Well, there's an email we've got, podcast at morethanhearers.com. You're on Facebook. You want to maybe send us a message and say hi or ask us, did you really mean what you said when you said such and such? Um, yes, probably. I did. Or I misspoke. Uh, but anyway, that's facebook.com slash morethanhearers. Uh, we're on Twitter as that service Twitter. Uh, Peter is at mth underscore peter i'm at orion plays music and we'd like for you to leave a review for this podcast on your podcast app of choice uh, hit us with the best one that you think we deserve a lot of them go to five uh, i don't know if anything goes past five this one goes to 11 <laughs> nice <laughs> Give us 11 out of whatever, please. <laughs> Unless it's Unless 22. it's 100 or something. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and then lastly, if you feel like you'd like to donate to this thing that we're doing uh, to help us. that. Re- I know. <laughs> if that instilled the confidence in you, uh, you can do that through our PayPal account. Uh, with the email is the same as the contact email, podcast at morethanhearers.com. Luke. 11. Peter, I've been talking with you for, I think, a couple of hours as pre-show prep here. Yeah. I, so I know how you're doing, but um, you can tell the audience. I'm doing fine. Yeah, that's what I got from two and a half hours of discussion. It took that long to get it all out, but now that I've gotten it out, I'm much better. So yeah. thank you. Sure. I, yeah. I, I would say that sometime we should record our show prep and put it out there as like a bonus deleted scenes, but probably not. Probably not. Yeah, we... Those who know us are, you know, no! Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> Ryan just got done telling me he doesn't like Star Wars, so I'm... I didn't say I don't like Star Wars. I said I'm, I don't consider myself a fan. There's a difference. You're not going to ask for my justification right now. I'm not. Not on... No, not on the air. Well, that'll no. be in the bonus episode. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Luke chapter 11. Man, I cannot believe... I feel like we just started Luke. And I can't believe we're already 11 chapters in. And chapter 11 starts out with, uh, try not to be like crazy hyperbole because at some point people are going to get sick of it, but it's a quintessential passage in Christianity. So Luke chapter 11, as always, we're in the NIV, be in whatever version you choose to follow along with, um, as long as it's still a Bible. I mean, don't follow along with war and peace or something, but here in the Bible. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1. It says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray 
just as John taught his disciples. Uh, speaking of John the Baptist, of course. And he said to them, he says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now, if you're in the NIV, there's a ton of footnotes here. And if you've been around the church for any length of time, and you go, uh, that's not the Lord's Prayer, Peter. There's a whole bunch of stuff missing from there. There is another Lord's Prayer passage. I think it's in Mark's Gospel. If I were smarter and had prepped a little better, I'd probably know that off the top of my head. I would ignorantly just shoot. I think it's probably in Matthew. But uh, Should I go for John and we, we've covered so everything? We need someone else to round it out with John. I'm, maybe it's an axe. I'm just kidding. Um, but... Uh, I was trying to do a quick Google search, but uh, it is Matthew 6, yes. 9 through 13. And that's the classic, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So Luke relates it a little differently um, and there's even some footnotes in the NIV that say, well, there's, there are some manuscripts that have these other phrases as well, but not all the manuscripts. And typically with the NIV where they go, some manuscripts, they're meaning newer ones versus older ones. Um, nonetheless, the version that's here in Luke in the NIV covers all the bases. But Peter, which prayer, Matthew or Luke, should we memorize and recite in order to not be sinful? Both? Okay. Uh, I've got a lot of work to do. Praying doesn't make you not sinful? No. Okay, so it doesn't okay. really matter if we no, have this it, memorized? It or... doesn't matter if it's forgive us our debts or if it's forgive us our trespasses or but forgive us our sins. But they said, teach us to pray, and then he said, this is how we should do it. So that's how every prayer should be? Or No. No. You're trolling me. No, I'm not, I'm because there's you. other places where Jesus prays, and he says completely different stuff. Sure. Uh, when he raises uh, Lazarus from the dead, he prays, he says, Father, I know you hear me. I know you always hear me. I say this for the benefit of the people here. Right. That doesn't follow this no, that's a equation at all. That's a different formula. Yeah. yeah. This, uh, the thing in this... <laughs> you totally derailed me, but it's okay. I got it. You need to address these things. The biggest one I want you to see in this, and it, as a modern Christian, is particularly if you've been a believer for any length of time, this is a duh, like I know Peter, duh, like duh, we all do that. Except that Jesus says, verse 2, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father. This was revolutionary. To the 12 sitting there at the time, or how many ever were there, it's probably the 12, um, to address God as a father was unthinkable. God was that guy up there. You had to uh, you had to go see the high priest or a priest at the temple to have any access to God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who led our forefathers out of the wilderness, the God who sent manna and quail and the God who, you know, gave us the law, that God. And Jesus goes, nah, just, just call him father. Like this, this idea that isn't 
honestly knew it's so funny we were talking about this in show prep and i don't think i meant it to go here but this idea that's not necessarily new of our personal connection to god all the way back in the garden adam had a personal connection with god god wanted to come and walk and talk with adam in the garden and so for jesus to go you got to relate to god this way father instead of you know oh holy mighty one with the with the punishing and the smiting and all that you know that this concept of God as a father was just, it turned the world, it turned faith on its ear. It was so opposite of how I think a lot of people saw God at the time. But at the same time, the next line is, hallowed be your name. So while God's a personal God, he's still to be revered, right? Sure. It's, it's this cool balance, honestly. And I don't, I don't know. Growing up in youth group and stuff, I was taught you, your prayer could be as impersonal and as informal as you want. Hey, God, it's me. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Today was a terrible day and this and that. And sure, I mean, God knows your thoughts anyway, so why hide anything back? Uh, but at the same time, God has to be revered. He's He's better than us. Mm-hmm. But he's personal to us at the same time. There, I, I've struggled to um, settle in on any one particular way of speaking with God that like it would be completely in line with the father son relationship or the uh, God and uh, servant worshiper relationship. And I, so I, I move in and out of them kind of whatever I happen to, whatever, however I feel I I sound, I sound flippant about it, but it's not that way. It's just, however I feel called to speak up, you know, about or to, to God in at that moment. But, uh, really it's elements of both, uh, probably always. And like for me, I know the way I pray <coughs> when I'm by myself versus the way I pray where maybe I'm leading a corporate prayer. They're different. They're, they're different. So as to, you know, for the, the situation and the timing and the subject matter, you know, sometimes I'm venting to God about my day. It's not real formal. It's frustrated, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but then there's other times where I think um, there's those prayers that are just worship and adoration of God because of how he is and who he is. And there's definitely a reverence that comes in that. Um, and then, uh, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Oh, we could spend all night on, does that mean, like, Revelation kingdom come? Does that mean your kingdom come in me? Does that mean your kingdom here on earth? Sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah okay. Good. Give us each day our daily bread. I, I was going to just gloss over it, Orion. That phrase? Yeah. Come on. No, I I was in a teaching once. I was in a, a they called themselves a church. There was a guy leading the message and he had been studying from, there are these translations of the Bible out there. If you haven't heard of them, don't go pick one up. Um, you can if you want, but they're called literal translations of the Bible. And they'll give you like every possible way the word can be translated. Mm, exhausting. Exhausting, hard to study. And if you don't know what you're doing, can lead you in the wrong direction. And this guy goes, oh yeah, give us each day our daily bread. Uh, if you look at that in the Greek, you're to demand from God your daily bread. He owes it to you. Hmm. <laughs> That's all I get. Wow. All I, I got was. Hmm. Well, I, I don't know how he got there, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to 
How do you get there? I don't know. Um, all I know is it's heresy. I would say like uh, the that would not need to be in the prayer if it was something that he owed you. Well, you'd already have it probably if you if he if he owed you anything, you, then you've already got it coming. I think that's the way he works. He's never like late with the the bills. God owes you hell, <laughs> right? And that's he's, what God owes. And he's you. deferred that. Yeah. So yeah. well, for those of us listening, anyway. Yeah. Or least. for those of us who've surrendered. You can be listening well, and have not surrendered, but yeah. Well, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna speak. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, I say I would say if you're listening, then you're probably not literally in hell. But then, if hell is separation from God, then maybe you are actually already there. Uh, if you don't, maybe you're Jesus. listening at work and you feel like your work is hell. Well, <laughs> okay, never mind. It's not literally hell. No, it might be. You might be having a bad day, but but yeah, this idea of God owes us, and yeah, that's my. As harsh as it sounds, my standard response to that would be, all God owes us is hell. That's that's what we've earned from God. Um, and so this idea of demanding anything from God just kills the me. The wages of sin is death, and I better get some daily bread along with it. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, I don't know, okay. I worked for that bread, death and a side of bread. And I love how... Uh, Luke just, uh, and in the NIV translation of of this passage in Luke, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. E, I learned it different. I know, as did I. Um, and the way I read it seemed like it was, might have been more optional. Right. <laughs> right. Because this is, uh, forgive us our sins, for we have already accomplished forgiving those who've sinned against us it's not yeah forgive me my sins because i'm going to get around to forgiving others yeah i hope so yeah no this is saying very- we, we've had this discussion forgive as i have forgiven you right yes yeah or else or else and there's an else in there i know yeah, that, yeah yeah or else how could you expect to be forgiven anything right if we can't forgive why in the world should we expect any forgiveness correct of our own, so this is hard. I love how it's worded, and I love it doesn't mess around with trespasses or debts or anything else. Yeah, it's it not student it, loans. Puts it right into our the thing that we need to understand it to be. Yeah, yeah. It's not a parable in this way. So no. I, I think the NIV is a, a a good. I might say great translation. I think it's um, I think it's definitely good enough. But uh, I agree with everything it's saying here. Yeah. It, yeah. And then the last part in Luke, anyway, and lead us not into temptation. And there's a footnote that says some manuscripts, uh, but deliver us from the evil one. I, I think that's it's so funny that it's there because I don't think God leads us into temptation anyway. I think we do just a fine job on our own. And I wonder if the phrasing in Greek might be uh, lead us away, away from temptation. You know, it could be an idiom. It could be a phraseology uh, that could be the way it was translated into Old English, and we've just carried it over back from the 1611 KJV. I'm I don't know. I'm sure that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. No. No, that would be only if we translated this from a translation, as the KJV was. Yeah, exactly. I was like, <laughs> look at you like, you do know, right? Like, you know what you're saying. <laughs> you know, okay, Sometimes. Anyway, we're not going to beat that drum tonight, but it's, it may come. It might come up again. Yeah. At least once or twice. Verse uh, verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. 
And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of your friendship, because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely give up, get up and give you as much as you need. Wow. Shameless audacity. You had the shameless audacity to knock on my door at midnight. Right? I'm going to get rid of you I'm by giving give you, you what you want. Yeah, I'm going to give you bread just to get you away. A like, Orion, if you showed up at my house at midnight and you were like, knock, knock, knock. Hey, Peter, I need three loaves of bread. Never mind that we live like 15 miles apart or whatever it is. Sure. I don't think it's that many. It's probably like 10. Yeah. And there's a lot of places to get bread between your house and mine. But still, say you came at midnight and you knocked on my door, woke me, my dogs, my kids, and everybody else up. Do you even have three loaves of bread in this scenario? I usually have three loaves of bread. Wow. I have teenagers. Okay. We, we go through some bread. All right. It's probably frozen. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We freeze ours. Yeah. But you're like, hey, man, I need three loaves of bread. I'd be like, uh, Okay. Here's three loaves of bread. I'm really confused. I'm half awake. I'm going to give you three loaves of bread. Tomorrow, though, I'm going to call you and go, did you come by my house at midnight and borrow three loaves of bread, or did I dream that? That, to me, is almost shameless audacity, right? Just the sure. the, the confused, like, what? Like, and it, it almost doesn't translate because – the guy's answering through the door. Like you're and through the door he goes, Duh, nope. I'm already in bed and I'm not gonna get up. Like if you knock on my door, there's some doors between my door or my bed and that door. Right? Sure. Right. So it's harder to like just shouting from bed. Like Yeah. I'm not gonna get up. But, I don't know, anyway. But but the the phrase that he uses even, I don't know, this is little stuff that I Go ahead uh, catch, but you know, he, he gives the excuses and then he says, I can't get up and give you anything. But we, yeah. know, we know from the next two verses, he yeah, does. And that's I, not true. <laughs> you know, I'm going to go we back to verse like that. eight. He says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. It, he's not getting up to get you the bread because you're buddies. It's not like if you came over in the middle of the night, you were like, hey, man, can I borrow three loaves of bread? It's not like I'd roll over to my wife and go, you know, Orion's a good friend. We... We do a podcast together. I should get up and get him some bread. I'm just going to be stumbling around in the dark like, I think that's all right at my door. Here's some bread. I would fully expect the next morning to wake up and find three loaves of bread just sitting on my porch where I imagined you were and handed them to you. <laughs> that's what I say. I'd call you and be like, did I? Did that happen? Oh, yeah, man. You saved our night. Well, I'd toast. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Made like 30 sandwiches. Jesus gets to the point. Verse 9. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. And he's setting up. This is going to go somewhere. So I'm going to read the rest and I'm going to circle back and talk about but it. But it's so weird. It is. But let, it's not weird when you get the rest. Okay. Maybe it is. I think it is. You've already read ahead. No, but go ahead. Okay. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, would give him a scorpion? 
He says, if you then, though you are evil, we are, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This comes on the heels of Jesus sending out uh, the disciples and then sending out the 72. And they've done amazing stuff through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus goes, it's kind of like this. You go to God and you go, hey, I want your Holy Spirit to do things uh, through me. I want you to use me to, to do things. He goes, never mind that you're his child. But just because you came to him with the boldness to ask, isn't he going to use you? And that's the thing I find kind of weird is like in the previous analogy, it's friend. Sure. Right? Yeah. It's a parable, though. It's not a direct. But either way, friend or father, why isn't that enough of a reason to get the person the thing they're asking for? I think he's trying to say, never mind even that. Yeah, you're saying it like be- just just the boldness in asking. You don't have to twist God's arm and go, "Come on, man, I'm your favorite kid." Like because it would be almost more relatable, especially if well, I don't know uh, if, if if this is about faith. I think, and I th- I feel like it is. I think it's I think it's about asking big. It, yeah, it allude, Yeah, okay, good. And faith's big. I think that whole idea of it being audacity. Yeah, I think is big ask. So. It's it's more like the the analogy should more be like suppose you go to a, a total stranger's house who uh, is in a wealthy community and should have nothing to do with you by any you know stretch of the imagination, and then even the, even though uh, that they still like open the door to you because that's what God does for us. So can like, I can I give yeah. you a little conjecture as to why I think he didn't? I'd love it. In the parables, a lot of times Jesus was using relatable stories. If he went, suppose one of you has some friends stop in from town and you need bread. So you go to the wealthiest neighborhood in town to the biggest house with the best cars and you knock on the door and you ask the stranger for bread. The listener might go, I would never do that. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't do that at all. All right. Whereas you could, suppose you have out-of-town guests show up suddenly and you need bread. So you go to your friend's house. Well, I probably wouldn't inconvenience them, but... I mean, if I really needed bread and it's all the stores are closed, right? They probably didn't have 7-Elevens It's back at then. least plausible under some set of Right, whereas if you get too far out there, it's like that would never happen. I like it. It doesn't matter. Thanks for that. Okay, sorry. I'm, again, I'm just guessing. But I love, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And that's the great part about this is I think I want somewhere deep down inside, I think we want to go. I'd rather have said, uh, how much more will your Father in heaven give gifts to you? Like, like if your kid asked you for a fish, you wouldn't give him a snake. So if you asked God for 50 bucks, he's not going to give you a quarter. But that's not, it has nothing to do about asking God for any sort of want or need other than the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. This is about trusting God for a big portion of whatever that looks like in your life and in your walk. Verse 14. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. Some of them said, by Beelzebul, is mm-hmm. that how it is in yours, Orion? I see it, yeah. 
the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him asking for a, by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebul. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, why did you just say the devil? By whom do your followers drive them out? Drive them out. So then, they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. We look at that, I look at that and I go, go, duh. Like, duh. But I, I know this because I've read it. And I, I, wish I, I wish it could have been there. They're just reaching. His, his enemies are just... They're done with him. They're, they're just reaching for anything, whether it makes sense or not. I mean, that's what you see here. And so much of this, because he's speaking, it, it, it doesn't say who. It says some of them said. And others tested him this way. And it says Jesus knew their thoughts, but he, it, it, we get to a, a little clue about who they are. And he says, now if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, this is verse 19, by whom do your followers drive them out? So it's, it's leaders. It's church leaders, spiritual leaders. And he goes... Uh, ones with followers. Right, ones with followers. He goes, you know, you don't like what I'm doing? Is it because I'm challenging your audience or authority in some way, shape, or form? And it's this house divided against itself. It's if someone's doing the work of God, setting yourself opposite of them, even if you don't like that they're getting more attention than you or anything else, is bad news. It... It doesn't work. It, it harkens to Acts. In Acts, one of the first times Peter and John get arrested, uh, there's all this argument amongst the Sanhedrin, the, the leading rulers of the elite Jews, the Jewish leaders. They're arguing about this side of the other thing, and this one guy, can't remember his name, and email me if you remember, or shoot me a message on Facebook. Um, gosh, I wish I could remember the guy's name. He stands up in the assembly of the Sanhedrin, and he goes, Brothers, look. Uh, a long time ago, this dude rose up, and I can't remember his name either, and we killed him, and his followers were scattered. And then this guy came along, and we killed him, and his followers were scattered. And he goes, now these guys, these followers of Jesus, we've killed him, and his followers are stirring stuff up, and one of two things is going to happen. Either they're just going to go away, like everybody else did, or what they're doing is, is, uh, is of God, and we don't want to be set against God. Mm. Because we can't be men of God, leaders of the religious leaders, and be against God. And he goes, one of two things is going to happen. Let's just not worry about it. This is considered to be what you just mentioned, uh, despite not being in the chapter that we're studying today, is considered to be uh, one of the earliest written logical arguments. Is it really? It is. Huh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's a, pretty cool. It's a syllogism. It's a, yeah, and if, if this, then that type of a thing. If yeah. this is true, that must be true. Yeah, and there's another one in the Bible, too, I think Paul uh, Probably. presents. Probably. Paul but, argues some but stuff. But, yeah, they're, they're considered to be some of the earliest written, logical, like, truly, like, oh, that's sound. you got some sound reasoning right. <laughs> there. That's cool. I, I didn't know that. That's, I love it. Verse 21. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. 
But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Did we not just address this? Uh, we did. Last episode or the one before? Uh, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Re- I think two very recent. Ago. Yeah. Um, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. And then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes in and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. You know, the first lots of times I read this, this was a scary statement of Jesus's. Um, but I don't want to get ahead of whoever's not with me is against me. If you're still trying to get to that point, all right. Uh, no, go, go. I thought you might be looking back for where we talked about it before, but I was not. looking for uh, the other t- telling of the, uh, the strong man. Cause, Oh, cause that's what like one of the, that was a mind blown moment for me. Like to, to study that. Why is that? Because, um, so the other example of the the strong man is uh, Matthew um, twelve, Matthew chapter twelve twenty nine. Jesus says, uh, if "This ad will get out of my face." Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Okay. And, and it just always as a person young in faith i'm thinking jesus is a strong man he's god he must be he must be the strong man in this parable right but i don't understand how he's getting tied i don't understand what's happening <laughs> how we tying jesus up man <laughs> i don't i don't get it right right uh and then it's like uh, satan is the strong man we talked in an episode a long time ago now I'm sure six months, maybe. We've been doing 34 of these. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that the earth, the world, is Satan's domain. Yeah. Like it's his, I mean, that's why the whole notion of the kingdom of God is coming, coming. or is yeah. come. Yeah. Is because it wasn't there. The, 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 the kingdom of Satan has run since... Uh, shortly after the creation of the garden and it's three that. chapters into the book yeah it's yeah. pretty early on in in the the bible and uh so he's he's the been the boss and then in in this parable jesus comes and he like a thief he's yeah. coming to take what is what is the strong man's and that's us and it's yeah. such an amazing, it's an amazing story because for one, it took me so long to understand it properly, and then when I finally do understand it, it's like Jesus is basically forced to behave like a criminal because in that other one it calls it, I think it says thief, but maybe not. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, I just had it, but I don't know. But anyway, like that, he comes to tie up the owner of the house so that he may plunder the house and take his possessions. We are his possessions. We are Satan's possessions until Jesus comes in and, and saves us 
from that. He uh, liberates us from <laughs> his ownership. Luke actually says he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. I love it. So good. That's so great. Thank you for that. Um, this, this other passage, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and doesn't find it. And then it says, I will return to the house I left. And when it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. And then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. And for the longest time, I was like, that, I don't want Jesus to drive impure spirits out of me. I get seven more. Sure. Like if he sends out seven, I'm going to end up with 49. You Clearly know? that's what. <laughs> right. right? Oh, this is multiplying. Yeah. One for seven. This is considered to be some of the earliest multiplication. Oh. No, <laughs> <laughs> but then there's a thing in here that's not in here, and I think it's not in here on purpose. It says, it's, it goes through seeking rest, it doesn't find it, and then it says, I'll return to the house I left, and when it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. But what doesn't it find? Uh, an owner? Or a pure spirit. Okay. It doesn't find any spirit. Sure. And it's kind of like that for me. And if I'm oversimplifying this, I'm sorry, but it's what I see of when we try to clean ourselves up, when we try to get our own lives in order, or even when we have a spiritual experience at church or wherever else, right? Uh, uh, You're at a big concert or some sort of crusade or some something, and you have an, an experience with God. And you get set free from whatever that thing is. And in your own effort, you try to clean up your life. You're setting yourself up for failure. You don't fill yourself because Jesus just got done talking about audaciously asking for the Holy Spirit. Yes. If we don't replace what we've gotten rid of with Jesus, with the Spirit of God, we are setting ourselves up for bigger failure than what we started. That's awesome. That's that's never been uh, clear to me, and now it's uh, obvious. It like, was always so scary to me, so right? Neat. Of like, I don't want seven more demons. I'll hold on to the ones I got. To just know? put the only one that matters in there, and it'll it'll take up that space. Right. <laughs> it's hard to like move seven of your buddies in. You know, like you move out of like you had the best apartment ever, and you move out. You get thrown out. You get evicted. But you get a few bucks together, and you get a few buddies to chip in on the rent. And you're like, we're going to go rent this apartment back. And you get there, and other people are living there. Mm. You can't really rent the apartment back. Okay, there we go. It's good enough. Verse 27. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. He replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. That's not the nicest comeback in the world. It's it's, it's surprising. True. Yeah, right? It really is. I mean, it shouldn't be. I hate when I'm surprised by the character of God. Because it says it's more about me than anything else. It's like, whoa, I didn't see that coming from God. But it's because I'm not God and my understanding is faulty. <laughs> And the parallel to this passage in Luke, of course, that we've already touched on, is uh, Matthew, you were just there, 12. 12. And in Matthew 12 is the account of Jesus' mothers and brothers. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, in, it, Luke doesn't carry that particular account. Um, maybe the guys he talked to for background just forgot about it. But, um, 
this is the only thing that really touches on Jesus' familial relationships in Luke 11. But the lady says it's probably super nice, right? Like, blessed is the woman who gave birth to you. Because even Jesus, talking about John the Baptist, goes, no greater man born among women than John the Baptist. Sure. And she goes, hey, blessed is, you know, your teacher, you're amazing. Blessed is the woman who gave birth to you. And he goes, no, no, no. People who hear the word of God and obey it, they're, they're blessed. They're the ones blessed, yeah. It's true. It just seems a little harsh. Like, Yeah. And sometimes truth is a little harsh. I don't know. Anyway, uh, verse 29. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Clear? I have thoughts. You do? Yeah. Do you? you I do too. Somewhere? But go ahead. Uh, I uh, the thing. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. The thing. The thing about Jonah is that fa- that's a fantastical story. I don't know if that's the right word. I mean that it sounds like it couldn't happen. Sure. Okay. That's what I mean by it. Yeah. And there's, uh, I, we, I know most people listening to this show probably uh, go, well, if it's in the Bible, I believe it. But there's a line of reasoning where you could say, well, that something like that sounds just really bananas, and I'm just going to choose to not believe that story. But if you follow Jesus, then you have to believe the story of Jonah. Because, because Jesus references, references it. it as a as a fact it's like anytime like like oh noah and the flood like oh you know no that probably that's just too crazy to happen and then jesus goes it will be like in the days of noah and you're you're stuck i mean you got to make a decision there either jesus is a liar or he's and if he the is son of god if he is throw the whole thing away right don't try to don't try to parcel it out uh, so well so we think these things are because then you're just you're being judged now of what's good and, and evil you know you're going to pick the things that that jesus said that were worth repeating or worth holding on to as fact like well, now, now you're a worthy judge um it, i mean that's slippery slope and all that but uh anyway i i like when whenever jesus does one of these things where he establishes something that someone might be struggling to believe you know okay i don't know burning bush talking snake you know, I believe the moral things and everything, and I think Jesus was a good teacher. And then Jesus references the things that are maybe the hardest to believe of the Old Testament stories, yeah. and he references them as they as if they are fact, not parable. So now take that. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's Jesus like, yeah, I know Jonah. He lives in my dad's house. <laughs> like, like it's 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 so legit and. This uh, For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. And uh, the last verse in there, uh, verse 32, The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. 
Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. As the Assyrians wiped out Israel, not Judah, but Israel, the divided kingdom at the time, wiped them out, and Nineveh was their capital. They were absolute enemies, and part of the reason why Jonah had such an issue with going to Nineveh in the first place. But then this, this idea that God would go to the enemies of Israel and go, repent and uh, be saved, and they surrendered, and Jesus goes, look, God sent the word away from you guys before to other people, and they believed. And now the word has come to you and you're rejecting it. The people of Nineveh stand in judgment of you. Not that the people of Nineveh will actually stand as judges. Just their example of not even being the chosen people of God as Israel was at the time. Right? Mm -hmm. They're not even the chosen people of God. And they repented and followed God and Israel didn't. How much more you the people of God who get God himself not just the word from a prophet but god himself would have rejected it oh the people of nineveh are going to stand up and go you're dumb like we believed because of a guy who had fish vomit on him right you don't believe when god himself that's that whole idea of the the people of nineveh the men of nineveh will stand up at the judgment and condemn this generation they don't have to say a word just that they're present, right? Yep. Okay. No one lights a lamp, verse 33, and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come may come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body is, uh, is full of light. Sorry, I was... I, Lost my place for a second. Your whole body also is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. I I, I love this. This, of all the parables maybe or of all the metaphors jesus uses i get this one uh long before i did any of the stuff i did now long before i was a semi-famous podcast host Mm. sorry i thought that was funny uh long before i was a mechanic or a bible teacher or even a parent um i worked for 20 years in the eyeglass industry i studied a lot about eye health and eye diseases and all of those other things and uh, made a lot of glasses, fit a lot of contacts, whatever. Anyway, but this idea of your eye is the lamp of your body and when your eye is healthy, uh, it sees a lot of light and when it's not healthy, it sees a lot of darkness. There is this thing we will all get. We're all going to get it. Well, if you live long enough. It's called cataracts. You've heard the phrase, Orion? Yeah, I was just trying to not want them. Oh, you can't unwant them. Uh, dang it. It's going to happen. Now I want cataracts. In your, <laughs> in your eye, behind your pupil is a lens. It's a physical, actual lens. I don't know what it's made of lens. I don't know what it's, it's made of. It's what cameras are based on. Yeah, a lens. Um, uh, as, it get, as you get older, it gets cloudy. Exposure to UV, 
um, just the lens gets thicker as you get older, all of those other things, it gets cloudy. And that's what cataracts are. It's a clouding of the lens. Um, and we do cataract surgery is the most common performed surgery in the United States, I think in the world. They perform hundreds of them every day, all the time. It's no big deal. The way they do cataract surgery is they cut a little slit in your eye. Sorry. Golly. They go in with a thing and they, they break the lens up into pieces and they pull it out. And they put a fake lens in to replace it and stitch it in place and you're good. And the thing, I spent 20 years in this industry, I did a lot of post-cataract surgery eyeglasses or whatever. And the thing overwhelmingly almost everybody who's ever had cataract surgery says is, I didn't realize how dim things had gotten. Mm. Because of that clouding of their lens, it makes everything dim. But slowly over time. Slowly over time, so you don't notice the degradation. But then all at once, it's fixed, and it's so bright. That's why a lot of older people don't like to drive at night, because they just flat can't see, because they're getting so little light into their eyes in the first place. So this idea of when your eyes are healthy, your whole body is full of light, but when they're unhealthy, your body is also full of darkness. I just... I get the visual there and this idea of the way cataracts And now affect. I do too. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and hopefully, listener, you do as well. Don't go, oh, it seemed a little dark yesterday. I must have got the cataracts. It's usually 60 plus uh, by the time they're bad enough. We all have a l- little tiny bit. It's just not bad enough yet to matter. I look forward to the parable that you can relate to the little floaters I've got. Uh, it's welcome <laughs> to my world too. Uh, if you all of a sudden get a bunch of them all at once, yeah. go to the doctor. Yeah, you got problems. Thanks. It's usually a sign of like a detached retina or something like that. Mm. A lot of Now I don't want that. I don't want that at all. I'm not sure uh, that's a good thing whatsoever. So, and then he opens this account with no one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it'll be hidden or under a bowl. And I love the ridiculousness of this. Like, who would, what? What fool? What'd you light it for? Like, and remember, this is, Pre, pre, pre electricity. Long before Ben Franklin with the key on the kite. Mm-hmm. Uh, they used candles or lamps. Uh, if you took a candle and lit it and put a bowl over it, You'd snuff it. It would go out. Yeah. Maybe not right away, depending on the size of the bowl and the size of the candle, but it will starve it for oxygen and it will just go out anyway. Not to mention the fact it's utterly useless. Mm-hmm. And Jesus goes, no. Nobody does this. If, if the light of God has come into you, you've got to get it out. Don't hide it in yourself. It's got to go beyond you. Therefore, if you, that last verse in that passage, 36, therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be just as full of light as a lamp shines, as when a lamp shines its light on you. It's about what we take in. It's about what we allow into ourselves. It's about letting the light of God in us. I wanted to say that so much better than I did. I get it, man. I'm glad you do. It's okay. All right. When Jesus had finished speaking, verse 37, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him, so he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of a cup and a dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. 
You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. I'm going to keep going. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. Dang. That's so harsh. I, I love this, because it. this isn't a new teaching. All the way back in, I can't remember if it's Habakkuk or Hosea now, darn it all, it's one of the two prophets. I think it's, ah, darn it. I'm going to have to look it up while I talk. The verse, and Jesus actually quotes it elsewhere. Um, God's prophesying to the people, and he says, uh, I desire mercy, not oh, sacrifice. Hosea 2-3? Two, 2-6. Three? Two, six. Six, six? No. No? Look up 2-6. Hang on a two, minute. 2-3. Jesus quotes it in Matthew 9.13. So I don't know why I think it, I'm so... I'm trying. I'm working on it. Hosea 6.6. 6. No! Yeah! Okay. Good job. Ooh. One to one. Uh, I think so, yeah. That's about the right score, maybe. <laughs> I don't think it's that big of a competition. Hosea 6.6. 6. I just pulled it up right now. It says this. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. And Jesus goes, look, you're, you're tithing a tenth of everything. You're tithing a tenth of things you don't need to tithe a tenth of. Which is good. Sure. It's, it's, it's it, great. There's nothing wrong with it. It's, 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 part, of the, it's part of the plan. It's, it's still what he, they're supposed to be doing. But you neglect justice and the love of God. Which is the more important. Right. But he, he says they should have done the done latter that. without leaving the former undone. Yeah, and yeah. and the other. But but if it was going to be one or the other, and the justice, the mercy. Yeah, if you, that's over the sacrifice. Right. Yeah. Over you, the ritual. Over if you don't the, have the mercy and the justice down, why bother with the sacrifice? Right. Um, and back to verse 41, but now as for what is inside of you, he goes, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. And this is such a big deal at the time because the poor in this era were so marginalized, particularly by the church. Um, I say the church, that's wrong. It wasn't the church. What would you call it? Uh, the Jewish elite. Okay. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the, the leaders and teachers of the law. But there was an establishment there that we would recognize as a type of church, right? But they weren't, they weren't maybe called that? I know that they called the church the ecclesia in Greek. Right. I don't know what they would have called the, uh, the Jewish. Uh, it was the synagogue, but that yeah, doesn't do. That's, that's the building. Yeah. Well, we call church. We church. call it. Yeah, we do. All right. I don't know. I don't know the gathering. I don't know what they. I call think when it. you say church, I, I, I get it. You know. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I just didn't want to necessarily. It's the establishment. Yeah, because the early Christian church was all about uh, giving to the poor and sharing possessions to help out those in need. Right. And so when I say the church didn't do it, 
yeah, yeah. You gotta That's why I was yeah. trying to differentiate. To clarify, yeah. Sure. But this was, it was a big deal at the time. That's why when Jesus, the, back to that story I referenced earlier about John the Baptist, where um, Jesus says, no woman, uh, no man born among women is greater than John the Baptist. Um, in that same thing, Jesus tells John's disciples, go back and tell them what you see. Uh, the the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear. The good news is proclaimed to the poor. Mm-hmm. It mattered because that's that wasn't happening. The poor were marginalized and ignored. And so Jesus goes, you know, you're all cleaned up. You've got all the right words and all the right sacrifices, but you are marginalizing a sector of society that God loves. All were created in the image of God. James touches on that super well in James 3, I think. And he just, woe to you because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. It's just this, um, this verbal masterpiece of you don't matter. Murdered by words, they call it. Yeah, yeah. One of the experts in the law answered him, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus replied, duh. No, wait, that's not what he said. Jesus replied, and you experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did? They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world. Ouch. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you experts in the law because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered and you have hindered those who are entering. Go ahead. This is what we were talking about in our two and a half hour show prep. Some of it, um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, Jesus was the, um, I don't know what penultimate means, but it sounds cool. Yeah. I like it. Uh, the, Biggest, like the, I mean, well, the like, top of top yeah, of top, the ultimate ultimate, right? Yeah, Jesus is the prophet. Yeah, oh yeah, he is, he is the spokesperson for God because he is God in the flesh. He is the God. He is God. Yeah, he is come, and he would be persecuted and killed by this generation that he was speaking to, and. If you go back, all the prophets before that all pointed to Jesus anyway. They all prophesied about him as it was. That was the whole point. Jesus is the whole point. He is finally the ultimate, ultimate there. And along the way, all the prophets have... uh, I think there might have been times where prophets were accepted. I'm not sure, though. (laughs) Not not too many times. Not in their hometown. I know that. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) If they were accepted, they wouldn't have been needed to be sent. Okay, fair enough. yeah. But but yeah, they've been they've been killed for generations and generations and generations, and it gets to this generation that kills the ultimate ultimate. And he says before this, before his death, that all of that that blood was was going to be on them, and, and that was a prophecy of his own killing, his, yeah, his own murder. And 
and the thing is, is it sounds super harsh, right? Like all the prophets that were ever, ever, ever killed, it's going to be all your fault. And you, you go, yeah, you're going to be responsible <clears throat> for it. Yeah. But the people who killed those prophets of old, say it was a guy named Ed who killed Zephaniah. I don't know. Zachariah, whoever. Um, you go, well, that's not fair for Ed gets off scot-free because these other guys, except that Ed couldn't see the fulfillment of the prophecy. Mm. These people had this fulfillment of all of the prophecy ever standing right in front of him. And they went, oh, no, he's using the devil. Right. I, just, I, 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 not him. Yeah. Jesus goes, nope, you're guilty of all of it. Because mm-hmm. you've seen the fulfillment. Therefore, your accountability is greater than theirs. Yes. And listener, that means our accountability is even greater than theirs. Because we can see all, we can see their mistakes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And his uh, perfection. Yeah. We, we have a, a, a too good of a vantage point that it's, it's, it, by saying too good, it means uh, we don't have any excuse. None. <laughs> yeah. We can see it all. Yeah. It, it's a really good vantage point that eliminates. All of our excuses. Right. That's rough stuff. The chapter ends, I was going to say poorly, but I don't want to say that the Bible's poor anywhere. So the chapter ends not in a great place. When Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. It's the end of the chapter. Normally in a really good book, if a chapter ended with waiting to catch him in something he might say, the next chapter would open with, ha they caught him. Except they don't. Because he's God. You don't catch God. You don't surprise God. You don't get him off guard. He had a plan and has a plan and is continuing to work his plan in us and through us and for our benefit to accomplish his will and his, his kingdom here on, on earth as long as he decides to keep us here.